Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Good morning. Uh, this is the week before Easter, and uh, this is Covenant Community of LJ. I'm Steve Fields, a pastor here working with Eric Colson and a fine uh, band and a lot of wonderful people, and we're thankful that you're joining us today. <clears throat> Pray that uh, God will speak to your heart as we uh, come before him uh, today. Let me ask you something. Is America headed towards God, or is America headed away from God? We as people who uh, love God, attend church, uh, is the church as a whole, the body of Christ, growing closer to God, more godly, or is it drifting away, uh, falling away from Him, growing more like the Lord Jesus Christ or growing less like Him? Are the sheep close to the shepherd and following the shepherd, the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, or are they wandering away? You know, our educational system uh, is founded on the theory of evolution, that our children are taught that uh, we and our physical world around us are the products of millions of years of random chance producing this complex, intricate, independent universe uh, around us, that uh, since it all happened by chance, we're really uh, meaningless, unplanned, and are part of a world uh, of insects and fish and birds and animals, and we're just animals ourselves, and there's uh, the only morals and constraints that we have are the ones that we choose to adopt for ourselves, but really, it's survival, and in, in the end, might is right. Whoever has the power to get other people to do what they want, uh, whether it's physical power, military power, economic, or academic uh, control, whoever has the power determines greatly what will happen. And our goal, uh, according to this theory and this system of belief and faith, is personal happiness. And if you, uh, if, you, if you can, and, and try not to hurt other people if it suits you, but by all means, take care of yourself and what is important to you. Then you die and return to oblivion that you came from randomly and by accident. Your only accountability for your choices in this life while you are uh, alive and when you die uh, or when you're alive. When you die, you disappear back into oblivion. This is a theory of despair and meaninglessness. And so many people are, are, are discouraged and have no direction. And when we come into a, a crisis like we're, we are now, they're wondering, why am I here? What can I do? Uh, am I just a, a, a floating in the wind, dust in the wind? The Bible teaches us that uh, the universe and all that is in it was created by God and for God's pleasure. And the Bible is accurate and authoritative about 
where we wh where we came from, why we're here, and where we're headed. Any thinking person will have lots of questions about that, and that's fine. It's fine to have questions, uh, uh, good, valid questions, and God has given us His Word to reveal and explain Himself and His plans, but the essential things uh, are, are clear as we uh, look at His Word. Uh, he explains what He desires from us. God created us and the universe around us to bring glory and honor to Him and for us to enjoy a dependent and trusting, uh, lovingly obedient relationship with Him in this life, preparing us uh, for our part in His eternal plans uh, when we go through the gate of death, the doorway of death into His presence. We can experience Him in a loving relationship of faith uh, and His promises here as we see his past actions, as we read in the Bible, and with our history of our country, and with our forefathers of faith in the Bible, and learn his ways, and learn his thoughts by his Holy Spirit. Creation was not a random accident. It was a creation by God, but a systematic, progressive speaking into existence, out of nothing, our universe. All of the material universe and the invisible, the angels, the molecules, and the, the things that we can't see were spoken into existence by the word of His power and are held together, Colossians says, by the, the word of His power balancing all of this. Adam, who God created, was not just a, a superior animal. Adam was made in the image of God, and Adam's spirit could communicate with God, and God came daily to talk with him, but he chose to rebel against God, against God's clear warning that he would die if he ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He coveted what God had wisely withheld, and he ate of that, and as soon as he ate of that, his spirit died to God. His and chaos entered out into this world. The authority that God had given him, the responsibility God had given him, he abdicated and let Satan, who had deceived uh, Eve and who had now tempted him, let Satan have that control and his brought evil into the world. Satan brought evil into the world with his evil spirits, and chaos uh, went across the world. Adam is the pinnacle of God's creation, made in the image of God, made to glorify God and enjoy Him and enjoy all of the beauties of this world and creation. God could have just destroyed the whole thing at the time, but God made a promise to Adam and Eve, uh, even as He banned them from the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life so that they wouldn't live forever. He said, I'm going to fix this. I have a plan in history. And that plan has been working out, and we are blessed to be born so that we have the opportunity of knowing God in this world and in this life and then going uh, through, when we go through physical death, going into His presence forever with the eternal plan that He has. Uh, God warned people then uh, in, in the time of, of Adam as His descendants multiplied the heart that Adam had started out with, the chaos that he brought in, a heart and a spirit that was alienated from God. Adam brought that into this world, and people became more and more evil. Finally, God looked down, and he saw that when people laid down, when they got up, the only thought of man's heart was only evil continually. And God said, uh, it's, it can't be fixed. So he gave Noah a job to do, build an ark. 
for 120 years, which anybody who would trust in God and yield to Him could go into the ark and be saved. It was a sign to the people of his day. But the people didn't listen. They mocked, they laughed, and Noah, a preacher of righteousness for 120 years, entered with his family, his children, and their wives and children. And they entered into the ark. And then God closed the door after the animals had all come in there that he was taking with him. And then the world of that day was destroyed. God sent the rainbow to say, I will never destroy the earth by water again. But as we'll read at the end of this session, God says, one of these days I'm going to fix all of this permanently. There will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein just dwells righteousness. Let me ask you, how is your relationship with God uh, right now? This time of Lent is a time when the 40 days up till Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ after he died for our sins on the cross. Uh, this time of Lent is a time when people pray, when they repent, when they discipline themselves and uh, look at, examine themselves and try to take some time to do some good things for other people. And it, it, it's the time of reflection, a time, a time out, so to speak, to, uh, uh, of self-denial and reflection and meditation. Uh, Joshua 1.8 says, uh, God told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but meditate in it day, in the morning, and night, that you may do according to all that's written therein. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man. How happy to be envied is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, those who mock everything that's around them, including God. But instead, his delight, what brings him joy, is the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day in the morning and night. It is the guiding force in his life, the law of God. Uh, he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, uh, bringing forth his fruit in his season. Whatever he does will prosper. The ungodly, the people who choose against God, choose to ignore God, are not so. But they're like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows he's involved intimately with the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. You know, we find throughout history, uh, as di different events happened and as serious things were happening. Daniel uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Daniel, as he was in slavery, uh, sent off with the children of Israel to Babylon, a thousand miles away from Jerusalem, though they, God had warned them countless times. They continued to go deeper and deeper into sin. So finally they had to go off into captivity. And Daniel was a young man who had purposed in his heart to love God, to serve God. And as he read in the book of Jeremiah, the prophecies that God said, it's about time. I'm going to take my people back to the promised land and I'm going to give them another chance. He fasted and he prayed and he spent time seeking to hear from God. Esther, as she found out in Susa that, that, that all of the Jewish people had been sentenced to be exterminated. She uh, was raised up by God to be the queen of that uh, city. And she said, I'm going to go to the king and beg him for mercy for our people to rescue them. Haman has a vicious plat plot. He has got it all set. The trap is set. The Jews will be destroyed. And she said to, to Mordecai, her uncle, call the Jews together. Tell them to 
fast and pray, not to eat or drink for three days, and I'll do the same with my maids, and then I'm going to go to the king. And if the king shows me favor, that's good. If he doesn't, if I perish. I perished, but she fasted and prayed. Jonah, as he came uh, with, a, with a bad attitude to Nineveh, God says there's 600,000 people there that I want to rescue, but I'm going to have to destroy them because they're worse and worse. Uh, Jonah came in there, and he began preaching the word, hoping that they wouldn't listen, but he had the power of the Spirit of God on him and the word of God to them. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be, Nineveh will be destroyed. And as he preached that message to the people that were devoted to destruction, the king heard the message. The people heard the message, and they made a proclamation, and all of the people humbled themselves and prayed and, and, and wouldn't eat or drink and humbled themselves before God and repented and returned to God. And God, in His great mercy, uh, spared them. Jonah was mad about that. But God said, oh, He said, look at all those children. Look at all those people. I want to spare them if I can. And he forgave them. Job, as he went through terrible pressure from Satan, as he went through terrible things that happened, his, his children killed in a whirlwind, his uh, uh, goods stolen, lightning killing his cattle, uh, terrible things, and even boils on his body as Satan was allowed to attack him. Yet he came to God saying, God, I'm not sure what's going on. In Job 42, God said, let me ask you something. Where were you when I created all of this? When I put it all together, knit it together, where were you? And he challenges Job. And Job says, oh, my word. I, I humble myself and I fall on my face before you, God. And I repent. Thank you for all that you've done, and you are wise, and I do trust you. And even though he had questions and had pain in his heart, he said, even if Job said to God, even if you kill me, I still trust you and love you. He had a love for God. Jesus, as he was on this earth in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, he says, when you pray, when you fast, uh, when, when you uh, give alms, he said, uh, do these things not if you do them, but when you do them. Take time to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to mourn over your sins. Seek after God's face, talking about a relationship with God. So in this time of Lent, we have an opportunity to pursue intimacy with God. We can't go to the ball games. We can't uh, go to a lot of entertainment. Uh, stocks and bonds are up and down. Uh, uncertainty has been unleashed on this whole world. Well, in this time out, let's take time to read God's Word, to pray, to memorize His Word, to meditate, and to humble ourselves before God and to come back to our first love. If you have some sort of addiction in life, and all of us do, all of us are addicted to something that is uh, needling, trying to draw us astray, uh, Ask God to help you have great victory there by the power of His Holy Spirit, whether it's pride or fear. If you're overcome by guilt or bitterness, come to the Word of God. Come to the Spirit of God. Uh, make friends with some other people who love God and uh, take time to partner with other Christians in this time. You can talk with them on the phone. You can pray with them. We're having a great time on Zoom, uh, praying day by day, uh, having a prayer time. And then... Uh, take time to fast, to humble yourself before God, to do without uh, food and drink even. 
uh, for a period of time, fasting. And as we think about the sin that is in the world, the sin that is in the church, the sin that even we find in our own lives, the struggle uh, with sin, that we can discipline our body and then discipline our spirit to respond to God's love with a loving heart. When we remember that our sin was so bad, the first Adam sold us out, and the last Adam, Jesus, came. He was tempted and tested in all points like as we are, yet he never sinned. And he, the God-man, because he was worth more than all of us from Adam to the last man, uh, and he was a man. He went and died the cruelest death a man can imagine, beating him, stripping him naked, mocking and scorning him as he died, a painful death with uh, big nails through his hands and his feet and uh, his back lacerated. And as he spent hours there, his tongue swelling, his breath gasping, his body suffering uh, t terribly there, feeling abandoned by even God. Yet there he humbled himself and died the death on the cross because he despised that shame, knowing that as he brought all of that evil into himself that the first Adam had brought into this world, all that chaos, all of that as he brought it into himself and suffered and died and then took the thief who had surrendered to him to paradise and then Jesus, it says, went on down to hell and preached to the spirits in prison and he was there three days. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose victorious over the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, he arose. And as we go into this time of Easter, let's remember that it's a great thing that Jesus rose, but he died. And he, the reason he died was for your sin, for my sin, for this world that had, had evil brought into it. And he came to drive Satan out. And one of these days, Second Peter says that we'll read at the end, he'll make a new heaven and a new earth where just righteousness dwells. God's dwelling will be with man on a new heaven and a new earth. And we can't even begin to imagine what that'd be like. And if God told us, we'd never be happy here again. So in this time of Lent, I hope that you'll take time to humble yourself and to pray and to uh, draw back close to God with a heart of love. Uh, you say, well, what does God want from me? Micah 6, 8, he says, he's told you, old man, what's good. Do justice. Do the right thing by the word of God. While you're doing the right thing, love mercy and loving kindness. Be kind to the people around you. And then do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. Take a step at a time with God. Humble yourself to seek to know him. Is the USA headed towards God or away from God? Is the church headed towards God? Uh, or getting closer to God and more like Jesus? Or is it drifting or the sheep straying away from the shepherd? How are you doing? How am I doing? Remember, sin is deceptive. Sin is addictive. Sin is progressive. And sin is destructive. And we'll read some scriptures about that. Sometimes you, uh, at the table, I have a brother and two sisters, and we'd be sitting at the table, and uh, you might be doing something that you might not should do or saying something you the, the wrong way. And you, I, my dad, sometimes he would give me a look. Well, that meant, uh, boy, you know better. After a while, you might just get carried away. <clears throat> He'd clear his throat. Then in a while, he might say, son. All he had to do was say, son, with that voice, and you knew he meant stop. If you wouldn't respond to a look, a clearing of his throat, a sign, or his voice, then he would say, son, you need to go to your room. I'll be in there in a little while. 
Now, he disciplined me because he loved me. He wanted me to be the right kind of a person, and he was training us. And, you know, I feel like in this time where our entertainment and where uh, our, our, our whole life is filled with uncertainty, that this is a time out for us. This is a gentle time when God is saying, people, look at where you're at. Take an evaluation. Check your heart. Ask me how we're doing and come before God. So as we uh, look today, uh, we can find out that uh, America is guilty of idolatry. The church, many people are guilty of idolatry. Idolatry, idols, are anything that you depend on for security or satisfaction that will cause you to ignore God or disobey God. It has your heart or part of your heart, and is seducing you away from God. Behind every idol really are evil spirits lying and seeking to, to uh, in Corinthians it says, behind all idols are evil spirits trying to seduce us away from loving God. The only way Satan can hurt God is through us, by damaging us and taking us away from him. So uh, America has a lot of idolatry. Uh, security and significance and satisfaction in many things uh, uh, rather than our heart wholly given to God. God says the essence of my law in relationship to me is love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. I am the fountain of everything that you truly want and need. Trust me. Come to me. Trust me. Walk with me. Meditate in my word day and night. Have a relationship with me each day. And the essence of God's law to all of us with each other is love your neighbor as yourself. Love. And you say, well, what, what, what does love mean? Go to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 uh, and, and following. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is not rude, is not arrogant, not lifting up itself. But anyway, you can study that uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, the thing I want to talk to us today is, is sin. Sin uh, is what uh, Adam opened the door to Satan with sin in this world. Personal sin separates us from God. And as long as we occupy these bodies of, uh, of flesh, sin will always be crouching at the door, just like it did for Cain. Crouching at the door, Cain had a choice, and he made the wrong one. Sin seeks to ambush us. The failure to strike a proper balance between two critically important uh, realities that our sins are forgiven positionally in Christ. We are in Christ, and our sins are forgiven. But on the other hand, remaining ex experiential problem, we know that we struggle with sin. We struggle with an attitude of independence from God. As long as we remain in this world is at the heart of many incorrect opinions about the biblical subject of sin. Over-focusing on the threat and the consequences of personal sin uh, to the neglect of the mercy and forgiveness of God through the sacrifice of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, can cause serious disruptions in our spiritual life and has led many to a variety of false doctrines. On the other hand, Assuming that forgiveness and mercy relieve the believer of the responsibility of pursuing personal sanctification, pursuing a life that is separated from sin to God by the power of the Holy Spirit because we love Him, uh, assuming that the forgiveness and mercy of God relieve the believer of the responsibility of pursuing personal sanctification is an equally dangerous misapplication of Scripture, and it's precisely because of sin uh, it's such an emotional subject that 
we can either be paralyzed uh, because of a failure to appreciate God's mercy and be so afraid and terrified, uh, or we can become complacent about it uh, from a failure to appreciate God's holiness. As Christians, we've been forgiven of our sins for salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're also charged with pursuing sanctification. Hebrews 12, 1 through 14 talks about that and the need to seek God's forgiveness for the sins that we continue to commit. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then he gives you the power not to just be in a cycle of repeat, fail, repeat, fail. Uh, it is forgiveness, cleansing. Now, put your hand in the hand of the master. Trust the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to his voice and let your spirit control your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. And let that control your body. Don't just do it. Walk in the ways of the Lord. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't keep my commandments to get me to love. Keep my commandments because they are my love to you. If we, As we strive to draw closer to him, denying our sins, uh, uh, denying that we are sinful out of a self-righteous desire to be perfect or seem perfect, or ignoring our sins out of a misplaced sense of security are equally devastating to the Christian walk. As Christians, we have been made holy in Jesus in principle, and we will be forever holy in, in him in the resurrection. But while we're in these mortal bodies of sin, we must continue our struggle against sin in a right and righteous way as we pursue holiness, the sanctification to which we've been called, to the glory of God. You know, people so many times as we talk about church, they make snide comments. Well, hope that they're unjustified comments. So we put our uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been called to sanctification. The reason we're called to sanctification is because that is not automatic in our lives. I'd like to read you a, a, a couple of quotes by Oswald Chambers about sin. Sin is not a creation. It's a relationship. The essential nature of sin is my claim to my right to myself. Calvary shows us just how serious sin is to God and how much God loves us. Sin is not a creation, it's a relationship. The essential of nature of sin is my claim to my right to myself. I will do it my way. Sin is not measured by a creed or a constitution or society. Sin is measured by a person, Jesus Christ. God wants us, Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, we know that God works all things together for good to those who love Him to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He did predestine to be conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. God is working all things together for good in our lives who desire to please Him and want His ways to make us more and more like Jesus. Uh, I, I'm thankful for this time out personally in my life. I've been praying with some friends day by day, and uh, it, it has brought me closer to the Lord and brought me closer uh, to them. Uh, sin has to be cleansed. Sins, plural, have to be forgiven. The redemption of Jesus Christ deals with sin. Titus 2.14 says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Those things that are self-centered, self because of our self-love. Jesus gave himself to redeem us, to purchase us back from those, and to purify Redeem us and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous, ambitious, or energetic for good deeds. Not just 
taking care of ourselves and caring about ourselves, but loving the people around us. Our neighbor is the person that is in our path that we have the ability to help in some way, whether it's with time or talent or treasure, some way that we can lovingly worship God by loving the people around us that he puts in our path. Uh, Oswald Chambers says, God never lays the sin of the human race on anyone but himself. The revelation of God is not that he punished Jesus Christ for our sins, but that God made Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. God put our sins onto him. God allowed him to pull into him the righteous God-man, pulled into himself. He did what the first Adam failed to do. He brought all that into himself, took it all into himself so that it could be uh, dealt with. Uh, he gave us a blood trans transfusion and a heart transplant, so to, so to speak. He died so that we could live, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Sin is not, first of all, wrongdoing. It is wrong being. It is independence from God. God has taken responsibility for its removal on the grounds of the redemption. Romans 14.23 says, whatever is not of faith is sin. God says, you must live in a dependent relationship on me, humbling yourself uh, and walking with me. And lastly, Oswald Chambers says, sin is the outcome of a relationship set up between man and the devil, whereby man becomes boss over himself, Satan led the worship of God in the presence of God. And he said, the only thing better than this is if everybody was worshiping me. And God gave him the ability to choose. And a third of the angels chose to follow after Satan. And when everybody had made their decision, two-thirds of the angels said, no, we want to worship God. We want to be uh, serving God. We were created for that. That is our greatest pleasure. But when Satan and his demons had made their choice, they were thrown out of heaven, and they have become uh, twisted spirits fixed in their uh, opposition and antipathy towards God, hating God and hating anybody that loves God and His ways. Uh, for Adam, the first personal sin produced sin nature and its immediate counterpart, spiritual death. His descendants, for him and his descendants, this state of spiritual death exists from birth, independent of the personal sins that we necessarily later commit or on account of our uh, possession of a sin nature. Colossians 2.13 says, And though you were dead in your transgressions, you and I, dead in our transgressions and the uncircumcised state of our faith, of our flesh. We're not the people of God. God made you alive together with Christ when we put our faith in Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. What a wonderful thing that because Jesus died, because Jesus pulled all of that into Himself, God in His justice and His love can forgive our transgressions. Today, as we uh, look at our nation, as we look at the world, as we look at the church, uh, physical death is a certainty. Everybody's concerned. I might die. And people are isolating, and we're doing the things that we need to do to do our best to preserve our physical life. But God says you should be concerned about your spiritual life because all of us will die physically one of these days. But God says there are two destinations. 
There's a destination of heaven. Through faith in Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven. We can be restored into a relationship with God. And we can live for Him here with the Holy Spirit in us, walking with Him. Or if you reject Jesus Christ, He is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to God the Father except through Him. If you reject Him, then the only other destination is hell and the lake of fire, a separation from God. The first death is a separation of your spirit and soul from your body. The second death is a separation of your spirit and soul from God in a place prepared for the devil and his angels who are fixed in their hatred of God. God has given you and me a choice. Uh, and, and so I just ask you, how are you doing in your walk with God? Uh, have you surrendered to him and asked him to forgive your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you a child of God through faith in the Lord Jesus? And how is your walk with him? Are you anemic spiritually or are you growing more and more like Christ? Colossians 3, 3 and 4 says, you are already dead. Uh, you're dead to this world system if you're a child of God. You're uh, separated from it. Uh, your focus, you have a new focus on God. And your eternal life has been hidden away with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our eternal life, is revealed, then you too, with your new eternal life, will be revealed in glory with Him. We are pilgrims here headed for an eternal destination with God through faith in Jesus. Romans 8.10 says, If Christ is in you by His Spirit, although your body is dead, uh, it is uh, sentenced to death and it will die uh, because of sin, because it's still sinful by natural birth, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Holy Spirit is your pledge that you have passed from death to life through the righteousness which comes by faith. Before you're a Christian, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, or your body are your master. But after you come to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in and blends with your spirit and brings your spirit to life, then your spirit with the Holy Spirit, can rule over your mind, will, and emotions. You don't have to be led by those things, and that can control your body. Being in Christ is a new life in Christ. Uh, and, and so this time, I hope, will cause you to think. Abraham was called by God in, in Hebrews, or it tells us uh, in, in Genesis, but then in Hebrews 11 says he left his home. He left his uh, relatives, and he followed after God, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He had a heart focused on in faith with God, walking in obedience to him. The body's not supposed to rule our life, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit is supposed to rule our life. So it says, in, in the same way, consider yourselves like Christ did, as to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So don't let sin reign in your mortal body so as to obey its lusts. And don't offer up your bodily members to sin as weapons of unrighteousness, but rather offer your, yourselves up to God as those alive from the dead. And offer up your bodily members to God as weapons of righteousness. Romans 6, 11 through 13. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I beg you, in the light of all that God's done for you, in the light of His love for you, in the light of His seeking after you, in the light of His sending Christ to die for you, and raising Him from the dead for you, and sending His Holy Spirit and giving you His Word, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in the light of all He's done for you, present your body a living sacrifice. Don't just walk your own way. Walk His way. A living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable to God. 
Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like jelly poured into mold, just doing what everybody else is doing. Do what God wants you to do. But don't be conformed to this world, but be being transformed. It's a process of being transformed so that you can live out that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. The, the, the relationship, our relationship now, is we are dead to this world and alive to God. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The law was not given to save us. The law was given to show us how serious our condition was. You know, you can be feeling fine and go to the doctor and they can do a CAT scan and say, oh, there's a mass here. Something has to be done about it. But the, the, the CAT scan can't help you. It can just point out the problem. There will have to be medical attention, surgery, and medication and those kind of things. The law just shows us how sinful we are. We don't live up to our own standards and we surely fall short of God's standards and His eternal standard of being just like Jesus Christ. So God doesn't want us to try to obey the law. God, God wants to, to save ourselves. God wants us to walk in His law to please Him by the power of His Holy Spirit. Uh, Galatians 5.1 says, it was for freedom. Christ set us free. So stand fast and don't weigh yourselves down again with the yoke of slavery, trying to obey the law to be good enough to get to heaven. I was talking to somebody the other day, and uh, I said, if you were standing at heaven's door and knocking, and God uh, said, who is it? And you said, oh, it's me. And he asked you, why should I let you into my perfect heaven? What would you tell him? They said, oh, well, uh, I would tell him that I loved him and I wanted in. You can't get into heaven just with a sincere desire. You can't get into heaven and, and into a relationship with God by doing your best. All of that fails. The law shows us that we fall far short of that. So in Christ, Christ came. Jesus Christ, the God-man, totally God, totally man came. And he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And he lived for us. And then he died for us. And in the economy of God was able to pay for all of our sins so that we could be forgiven and through faith in him welcomed back into a relationship with God, free from trying to obey the law to be saved, from trying to obey the law to be good, uh, free to confess that we're sinners, repent of our sins, and put our faith in Jesus Christ. You're called to freedom, brethren, Galatians 5.13. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but be slaves to one another through love. 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul says, When I am discipling people, the goal of our instruction is love, love for God and one another from a pure heart, and then a clear conscience, and then a sincere, a real faith, a walk of God with faith. Uh, Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death your bodily members, which are of the earth. Don't let your eyes, your ears, your hands, your body do that which is displeasing to God. Put that to death by the power of the Spirit and live to please God. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its lusts and desires. If we live by the Spirit because of the Holy Spirit, let's walk in that same power of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 24 and 25. For the love of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says, the love of Christ constrains us. It works energetically in us, having brought us to this conclusion that one 
Jesus died for us all so that when we all have died in him and he died on and we all have died in him and he died on behalf of us all so that we who are now alive might no longer live for ourselves but for him who died for us and was raised from the dead. We love him back. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not to make me love you, but keep them because you love me and you want to please me by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. First uh, Peter 2.15 says, This is the will of God for, for you by doing good to silence the ignorant, the ignorance of the ignorant as free people and not as using your freedom as a cloak for evil, but as servants of God. First Peter 2.24 says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that in order that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, die to self-will and independence and self-righteousness, but instead live uh, to righteousness, His righteousness, because by His wounds we were healed. Experientially, uh, following sanctification and spiritual growth is the utmost importance for every Christian. For if we've been made alive in Christ we and we turn back to those things uh, which we have di died to in Him, we run the risk of being worse than we were before. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. Uh, you know, uh, there are people who say words. Jesus said, the seed of the Word of God goes out. It's on the wayside. The devil comes and gets it. Uh, some of it's in stony soil. It springs up quickly, but as soon as a bit of pressure comes, and it fades and goes away, and people forget. Some, some of the seed is sown in thorny ground, but the thorns and the, the cares of this world and the riches of this world choke out the life of God that started there. But there is a seed that bears fruit to God, uh, 30, 60, and 100 pulled more and more like Jesus. Uh, he says, if we have escaped in 2 Peter 2.20, if we have escaped the defilements of this world by recognizing our Lord Jesus Christ, we should become uh, spiritually by becoming, and we should be overcome by becoming involved again in those foul things, they, then they have become worse off than they were before. It would have been better for them not to have accepted the righteous way in the first place than once having accepted this holy command of faith in Christ committed to them to turn their backs on it now. And in their case, the proverb is true. The dog returned to its vomit. We say, oh, that's nasty. But a dog says, well, why waste good food? That's his nature is to eat vomit. It says, and the sow, though washed, returns to the muddy pigsty, wallowing in the mire. That's the nature of a pig. We have been given a new nature. If we're truly children of God, we should be people who walk more and more like Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, living to please Him, to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and love and serve those around us. When the church is like that, it's going to have an impact in our culture that is incredible. Don't you understand? It says that if you give your allegiance to anyone to obey them as servants, then you're truly servants when you obey them. Uh, whether you give yourselves to sin, which results in death, or whether you give yourselves to obedience to Christ, which results in righteousness. This is Romans 6, 16, 17. But thanks be to God, when you were the servants of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the content of the teaching entrusted to you. So, having been freed from sin, you became subservient to righteousness. And I put this in human terms because of your flesh uh, that is still weak. Just as you once presented your bodily members as servants to impurity and lawlessness in the service of lawlessness, so now present your bodily members as servants to righteousness in the service of sanctification. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit did you have, uh, were you bearing then, of the things which you're now ashamed? The end result of those things is spiritual death. 
But now, as it is now, having been liberated from sin and made servants of God, the fruit you bear is in service of sanctification. You're set apart from sin, set apart to righteousness. And the end result of that is eternal life. For the salary paid by sin is death, but the gracious, gracious gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 8, 6 says the thought patterns, the soulish, worldly thinking of the flesh results in death, but the thought patterns of the Spirit result in life and peace. Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers, we're under obligation not to live uh, according to the flesh by its rules. For if you live by the rules of the flesh, you're destined to die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. You know, in the Emancipation Proclamation, when slaves were set free, they didn't have to listen to that old master anymore. They were free. They could go. In Christ, we've been set free from the flesh, from sin, the world, the, the flesh and the devil. We are free to serve God, free to please God. By the power of the Spirit, we have a new nature, and that is the choice that He wants us to make. Lust, the desires of the flesh, uh, if we indulge them, lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Uh, sin is like a possum trap. It has something nice in there. It lures you in, and it tells you you're going to be fine. Everybody else is doing it. But as soon as you go in and nibble a little bit, the door closes behind you, and you find yourself trying to get out. The possum tries to get out, beats his nose up. He's scared. He's terrified. He is a prisoner. He is captive. Lust, sin, uh, brings death into our lives, death into the situation that we do. Uh, we need to seek God's ways. Uh, we are to warn one another, to care for one another. Uh, it says in 1 John, uh, 1, uh, 1 John 5, 16 and 17, if you see your brother engaged in a pattern of sin that doesn't lead to death, uh, you pray for him and life will be given to you. Uh, those where, who are not sinning, a sin unto death. There is a sin which leads to death. I'm not telling you that you should pray in that case. I believe in 1 John 5, there, 16, there is a time when Christians choose to sin, and there comes a time when, like my dad, once he said, go to your room, you were going to get disciplined in there. Uh, God warns us. He gives us His Word. He gives us the, the, the Holy Spirit. He gives us other warnings. But if we are insistent, there comes a time when even He says uh, he will, we can be sent, sentenced to death. Here in America, the church, uh, we are to be godly people by the power of the Holy Spirit, living a holy life. And we've been given a, a, a warning, a time out here. Uh, for the church to become what God wants us to be. Here at Easter, as we remember how serious sin is. Sin is so serious. Jesus had to die on the cross. The only way uh, for us to be forgiven of our sins was for Jesus to die. Jesus died on the cross, rose, uh, paid for our sin, rose again from the dead. Through faith in Him, we can be reconciled to God. He redeemed us, and He reconciled us. And you can have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ and asking forgiveness for your sins. Yes, we have a struggle, but by the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have a choice to live in victory. Galatians chapter 5, we've been studying in the book of Galatians, and let me just take you there uh, quickly. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13.
For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, selfish living, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, this statement, you should love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed of one another. But I say this, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You do have a choice. You're live, living by the Spirit. You're led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit is against the flesh. And they are, these are at animosity with each other, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you please. You can't just be impulsive and subjective. You need to walk by the Word of God, the power of the Spirit of God, to the glory of God, and for the good of the people around you. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry or greed, uh, sorcery, uh, looking into witchcraft, uh, enmities, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of rage and anger, disputes, dissensions, cliques, factions, envying, drunkenness, wild partying, and things like that, which I warn you, forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. God wants us to be in a relationship with Him, to be living and working in His kingdom. But people who choose the flesh and choose those ways against God, He says, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are the kind of people that make a difference all around the world for the good and the glory of the kingdom of God and are pleasing to God. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. Let's not become boastful, challenging each other and envying each other. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if you see anybody who's caught in a trespass, if you see a, a brother or sister uh, walking into sin, you who are spiritual, restore them. Welcome them back. They've already got guilt and shame and depression. Welcome them back. Tell them how to confess their sin, get their sins forgiven, cleansed in Jesus Christ, and then consider yourself lest you be tempted also. Uh, you know, a, a chicken, a little chick, when you're put into the, the chicken house, if it has a black speck on its neck, it won't survive. All the other chicks try to deal with that little black speck, peck, 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 and kill it. Instead of uh, killing our brothers and sisters and pecking at the least little thing, let's have a loving, warm spirit trying to help them. Believers have an empowerment of the Spirit which makes resistance to the flesh not only possible, but we can live and have victory in Jesus whenever we truly give our will over to Him instead of to sin. The flesh is weak. And, and we have a hard time sometimes controlling and resisting it. And so we fail. We sin and we lapse. The flesh is strong in that its lusts are easily translated into action when we fail to resist effectively by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. Without the help of the Spirit, we would take it would take extraordinary effort to prevent our being dominated by the flesh. In fact, it's impossible without the Spirit. But with the Spirit, victory is possible if we give ourselves over to following His lead wholeheartedly coming ever closer to walking precisely in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ as we grow spiritually in Christ day by day. God is warning His people with a gentle time out. I just invite you today 
to check your heart. If you read in Revelation 2 and 3, the, the, the Lord Jesus came to the churches, which I believe represent churches of all time. There's different kinds of churches. And Jesus came and His Spirit was walking with a light going amongst the churches. He commended them on the things they were doing well. He warned them about the things that they weren't doing well. What's happening is not a meaningless accident. And uh, for myself personally, I thank God that it's a time out. And I believe uh, God is calling the church to look at itself carefully and to ask the Holy Spirit, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my thoughts. See if there's a way that's harmful in me. Then please lead me in the way everlasting. Help me here to be a good servant for you, doing what you want, a faithful servant, persisting in that by the power of your spirit for the glory of God. Father, we just come and uh, thank you that you don't let us just go cluelessly on to destruction, but you have warned us in so many different ways. We thank you, uh, Lord, for the wonderful efforts by so many people in this country to try to overcome this uh, pandemic that is spreading across our nation and across the world. Lord, we pray that through this uh, great sorrow that's come, that we would humble ourselves, first of all, our own lives, to return to a loving walk with you. Pray that our uh, nation uh, would not be in rebellion against you and just want to get back to business as usual, but instead that through this time they would be made to think about our mortality and think not just about physical life and, and, and separation of their soul from their body, but their spiritual condition before you. And that there are two ways. There's the way of destruction, uh, which most people are going in, that leads to hell. There's the way of life that leads now to a walk with you and then heaven uh, and the new heaven and the new earth where in just wells righteousness one of these days that you've promised. I pray that you would help us to live lives filled with the power of your spirit, making a difference in the people around us. We pray that your church would be the pleasing church to you as you come and speak to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe He's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.